So we thank God for his word and ask he'll bless it to us as we think together tonight on some of the great things that we find there. I want us to think, if we may, of this chapter, pick out a few of the, the points that perhaps have some, something to say to us tonight. Here's the simple letter which Paul wrote to the people at Colossae. Just an introduction to the situation. Colossae was only a small city. I gather it had been quite a a large city at one time, but uh, now it it was somewhat small, but it was in fact a trading centre. So people passed in and through it. And it had a mixed population, And in Bible terms, of course, that means Jews and Gentiles as well. Now, this was a letter which was sent to the church at Colossae, the believers there. And it was sent from Paul. Timothy was associated with it, his assistant Timothy. But Paul was a prisoner in prison at Rome, when he sent this letter. As far as we can understand, Paul never went to Colossae at all. It's an amazing thing that this pastor's heart that Paul would have gave him great concern for the people at Colossae, although he never met with them, he never talked to them. He couldn't telephone as we might do or anything like that. He he just had never been, but he wanted to share things with them. It appears that Epaphras was involved in the work of the church, perhaps the founding of the church. It certainly would meet in the home of Philemon, Colossae is 100 miles from Ephesus, quite near to Laodicea. If you read further on in the epistle, Paul wrote to Laodicea as he wrote to Colossae. And he said to each of them, you read what I've sent you and then you share that with them and they will share theirs with you. So there was also interconnection between the believers there. Ephesians was written very much at the same time. And if you follow the two epistles, there were certain similarities between the two. Now Paul, as usual, sends his greetings uh, to the believers at Colossae. And this comes in the simple words, grace and peace from God the Father. It's been said, and uh, I guess you appreciate it is important, uh, 
they had to be said in that order. You must be touched by grace before you can know the peace that only Christ can give. We have a description of just what he thought of the people there, very quick one. They were saints. Nothing special actually about that. We, we might, oh, the world anyway would think, well, this is something very special if, uh, if they are saints at Colossae, but of course a saint was just a simple believer in Jesus. If you are one of them, then you are a saint. Nobody can make you one except a work of grace within your heart. And then they are described as faithful brethren. That's very commendable, is it not, that they should be described like that. Or that we might somehow try to fit into a category like that, to be faithful, faithful to the Lord, one in whom he can trust if he has something he wants us to do. So he writes to them. They tell me that verses 3 to 8, which we first think about, Actually, there weren't those number of verses in the original. I gather it was one sentence, the whole thing. You'd have to breathe a few times if you read it at one go, but uh, I understand that that was the position. One or two things just to share with you then about the believers at Colossae that we gather from these opening verses. One very important factor is that they had heard the gospel. They'd heard it. It had come to them. Somebody had taken it to them. Somebody had spoken to them about the gospel. Now the gospel, of course, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And the simple content of the gospel concerns the message of the love of God that sent Jesus into this world to be our saviour. It speaks about the death of Christ for sinful souls as our substitute, our saviour and our sin bearer. It speaks the gospel about the power of God, the working of the Holy Spirit within the person's heart, whereby such persons become children of God by grace, born of God. Such is the gospel. And it is spread because believers are told to spread it, take it. Simple question is asked in one part of scripture. How shall they hear without 
a preacher, somebody to tell them. And perhaps you should be telling someone about Jesus and his power to save. So they'd heard the gospel. But they had exercised saving faith in Jesus Christ. There is a step there that is so very important and so very vital. You see, it is possible to know it all. To be told by somebody the whole gospel's truth, as it were, in the sense of academic understanding. But there is a step to take to exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ. These are written, says the scripture, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So one exercising saving faith will have turned. The Bible word is repentance. Will have trusted. Bible word is belief. And will tell. Bible word is witness what Christ has done for them. I want us to notice then that uh, these people were also discipled. It's a wonderful step to come to trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour. But life goes on, and each needs to be carefully discipled in the things of God. Remember Jesus said, come unto me, you that are weary and heavy laden, learn of me. And he said to the disciples, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have told you. So it's a question of teaching, learning God's word, but it's also a question of living. The two must go together. If your chair had only two legs, it wouldn't work, would it? You wouldn't be balanced. And if all we've got is teaching, we're not balanced. We must live it out day by day, discipled for Jesus. <laughs> the simple stories told about missionaries went to 
a far remote part of the world and uh, these people didn't know very much. They came to the missionary who had been talking to them about Jesus. And these love lady people went to the missionary and they said, tell me, this Jesus man of whom you speak, is he like you? That's a question, isn't it? Reality, of course, puts it the other way. Are we like him? But I'm sure we get the point. And then the, another aspect of these believers is that they displayed a fruitfulness in what was going on. This fruitfulness was wherever the gospel was, and it was also at Colossae. And there are perhaps three things that stand out that displayed this fruitfulness. Faith, love, and hope. And of course, as we read our Bibles many times, we come across those three words. Just to remind you of Corinthians 1, Corinthians 13. These three, faith, hope, and love. Fruitfulness for Jesus. We'll come back in a moment or two perhaps to think a bit more about hope. But here's a definition. You may or may not like it, but here it is. Hope, H-O-P-E, having only Positive expectations. We'll turn a bit further. Verses 9 to 12. This is really a prayer. A prayer for God's people. And Paul, who hadn't seen these people or spoken to these people, tells them how he's going to pray for them. What he's going to ask of God on their behalf. It's very instructive what was in his heart. The things that mattered as he saw it. The things that counted amongst people of God. There are three things I think you'll find in this particular passage about his prayer. First, he prays for their spiritual wisdom, not human wisdom, science, if you like to think of it that way, but godly wisdom. And this is all about knowing and understanding God's will. It's what he wanted them to know. 
God's will. And he wanted them to have the wisdom to discern it and to know it. Sure, we all appreciate there's two things, very simple things about God's will that matter to us. We need to know it and we need to do it. God has a will, of course, for the world, a general aspect of many things. Sure, we could easily include the Ten Commandments within that. God has a will for his own, those who believe, the church, a big thing of his will for them. And yes, God will have a will for you and a will for me in our lives. that we should seek to discern, to know, and to do. I'm not suggesting this is always very easy, but it is there to be sought. How important to seek in life this one thing, to do God's will. How Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Stories told of missionaries again. Before the man went, he wrote in his diary, no reserve. When it got very tough, And the enemy was very hard. He wrote in his diary, no retreat. When his health gave way and he couldn't do any more, he wrote, no regret. The second thing for which he prays is for Sanctified living. He prays that they might walk worthy of the Lord. Holy, set apart, faithful witnesses for God. Walk worthy of the Lord. Lest you misunderstand, we shall all fail at certain points. We let the master down at certain points. But all we need this objective before us to walk worthy of him who we represent and to who we belong. Have you thought at stake? If we walk unworthy in what the world would call a big way, our reputation is at stake. 
The reputation of others is equally at stake. They get involved. God's name can be blasphemed by the heathen. They are to walk pleasing before God. Isn't it a wonderful story of Enoch? Enoch walked with God. And the scripture says, he had this testimony. He was commended as one who pleased God. And they were growing. They were advancing. They were stepping forward. I'll give you one or two old hymns tonight. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And then he prays a third aspect of his prayer, that they may be strengthened by the Spirit, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be imparted to them to give them the strength they need. He within them would be their help and strength upon the way. Four simple aspects come out of this. They would know something of patience. God is patient. God's Holy Spirit within produces patience. And in a world that wants everything at the press of a button, it's good to see to walk with God, his way. They would know endurance, strengthened by the Spirit of God. Paul knew what endurance was. Sometime after this, again from a prison cell, this time writing to Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then they are to be joyful. Let's get this one. It's so important. With joy. This is a prisoner in chains Talking about joy, you say, it doesn't fit, but it did. So far as Paul was concerned, rejoice again, I say rejoice, was what he had to say. There's a hymn, I don't know whether you ever sing it, but uh, there's a hymn that talks about put a cheerful courage on. It's a good thought, isn't it? When the grains go tough. It's easy to be pessimistic, doomed, and so on in these not easy circumstances. What a difference it makes to know joy. And then, 
with thankfulness. Always thank God for the blessings that you've got. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. What a difference in life all these things make in the darkest days. Strengthened by God's Spirit. And then the verses 13 to 20. I'll go quickly here because you got a message on this just some short time ago. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, the Lord of all. You see, at this church there was heresy creeping in. And heresy, as you know, takes many different forms in many different situations. But so frequently it centers upon Jesus in some way. And so it did here. But they're told here that Jesus is the Savior. He came to rescue. He came to redeem. He came to bring forgiveness to guilty souls. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child. And forever I am. Then he is the creator. The express image. The maker. The maintainer. Of all we see visible and all we don't see. Invisible. And he is the head of the church, the church triumphant, the church universal, the local church. He should be always the head. We should always make him so. And he takes the supreme position. He is above, beyond any other. He is fully God. He made peace through his sacrifice on the cross. He shed his blood for your salvation and mine. And finally, the last two or three verses, just a very quick summary, but it talks about our progress, a sort of overview of life. It says you start off in aviation. You're away from God. You're lost. You have no hope. You're sinful, lost. And the way is desperate. But then he said you're reconciled in Jesus. For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 
Then he said, you have a future hope. One day, believers will be glorified. We have a hope which is for time and for eternity. We have a hope now. Because Jesus lives, he is able to save totally them that come unto God through him. Sinners can seek mercy through him. But he is also there for eternity. This hope tells us that one day he's coming back. This blessed hope of the believer. This hope reminds us of the prayer of Jesus, Father. I would that those that you have given me may be with me where I am to behold my glory. If you want more than that, I find it difficult to understand. So just a few simple thoughts on this first chapter of this letter to the Colossians. I trust in some way something has encouraged us, challenged us, helped us.